0: Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our special guest speaker. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. It's great to be with you guys this morning and uh, to be a part of uh, what God is doing here in Palatine. I want to take you back about 300 years. Um, 300 years ago... You know, uh, in Europe, it was still a lot of conflict between Protestant and Catholic. Protestants, you know, rejecting the power and the corruption of uh, the Roman Catholic Church at the time. And uh, it was complicated because the normal rule at the time was not freedom of religion. It was that you had to follow the religion of whoever was the ruler of where you lived. Um, Remember, this is before democracy came on the scene. Everybody had some kind of king or prince or some nobleman that was in control, and they had to follow the same religion. And so there were a group of believers in what is now Germany who were Protestants, but they were being persecuted because they weren't following Um, the religion of their rulers. And so there was a man named Count Zinzendorf who had a, uh, uh, a section that was his to control called Moravia. And he invited all of these persecuted believers to come to his place and they could live there and they could worship freely as they wished and not be persecuted. And so from... All around, people came and they established a community there called Herrenhut. And uh, they all thought, this is going to be great. We're going to live in peace and prosperity together. But you know what happened? It wasn't long till they found out that there were other things about which they disagreed. <laughs> We don't know anything about that, do we? <laughs> they disagreed about, you know, in certain interpretations or applications of the Bible, how about communion, and you know pretty soon they started polarizing. And in when you're polarizing, you, what you do is you demonize the people who disagree with you. And that's exactly what they started doing. They started telling each other, you're from the devil, because you didn't agree with me on this particular point. And their idyllic community was literally being torn apart by their conflict. And eventually it came to the point where the Count heard about it. Now you have to remember, the Count is more of a politician than anything. You know, that's how you get to be a Count. <laughs> and uh, But he's forced to come... And he actually spends some time preaching to them on Sundays and rebuking them for their conflicts, their selfishness, and their pride, which was, of course, what the real issues were. And so some of them, in response to his exhortation, began together late at night to pray, just to pray for God to help them with this situation and to get out of this. And they'd been praying for a little bit, and then, and the date was August 13th, 1727. So, 295 years ago or so, something happened on their Sunday worship. On that day, The Spirit was poured out on their little group. The power was so strong, the people leading the worship couldn't speak or sing anymore. They all fell down, some shaking on the ground, some on their knees. People in the church started crying out loud, falling down, some of them, and shaking. They were completely overwhelmed by the coming of the Spirit. And here's how one of them described it. He wrote this, and of course he wrote it in German, and this is a translation into English. But its I think you still get the feel of it. Verily the 13th of August, 1727, was a day of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We saw the hand of God and his wonders, and we were all under the cloud of our fathers, baptized with their spirit. The Holy Ghost came upon us, And in those days, great signs and wonders took place in our midst. From that time, scarcely a day passed, but what we beheld is almighty workings amongst us. A great hunger after the word of God took possession of us so that we had to have three services every day. Imagine, Think about that when you're praying for a revival. Three services every day, namely at five in the morning at seven thirty in the morning and at nine at night because they, are, they all still had jobs <laughs> okay but every day they started gathering because they were so hungry and everyone get this desired above everything else that the Holy Spirit might have full control self-love and self-will as well as all disobedience disappeared. And an overwhelming flood of grace swept us all out into the great ocean of divine love. And their conflicts were no more. One person, another person wrote, we left the house of God that day hardly knowing whether we belonged to earth or had already gone to heaven. That's what kingdom life is really all about. And their experience with the Spirit didn't end there. Instead, it led to a long walk in step with the Spirit. First thing that started was they started, you know, as he said, gathering three times a day to hear the Word of God and to learn because they were so hungry for God. Then they started a 24 hour prayer meeting, you know, where they would pray around the clock and everybody would take an hour and they would do this prayer meeting, this prayer meeting, folks, lasted nonstop for over 100 years. Over 100 years. That's like three or four generations, nonstop. And the Holy Spirit would move in the prayer meetings and speak to people. And one of the things that started to happen was the Holy Spirit began to speak to them about all the forgotten and the oppressed people of the world. And the first people he brought to their mind were the African slaves in the Caribbean islands. Which, I don't know if you know much about the history of slavery there, but it was horrific, um, working on those plantations. And um, they said, we need to go tell those people about Jesus. Jesus. This is what the spirit of God began to do. Well, the plantation owners did not think this was such a good idea. Because if you tell those people about Jesus, and they actually receive Jesus, they become children of God. And guess what? They don't think like slaves anymore. (laughs) But what they decided was, if you won't let us come, normally we will sell ourselves into slavery and we will still go and preach to them about Jesus. I'm not sure that they actually had to go through it. I think at that point the slave owners backed down, but they did go. They went. And many of them died actually because it was uh, tropical disease problems. Um. And first two, and then more, and then more. And they kept going, and they went to them. And then then the Holy Spirit began speaking to them about the indigenous peoples of North America. And they were the first people to send missionaries to the indigenous peoples of North America. And they first went to the Cherokee and the Chickasaw peoples, who were then living in the southeastern part of the United States, like where Georgia is. And... Um, they went to those people and many of them became believers. You know, Now a hundred years later those people were forced to leave their ancestral lands there and move to Oklahoma. Many died on the way. It's called the Trail of Tears. But what a lot of people don't know is on the way they were singing hymns because they were brothers and sisters in Christ at that particular time. And it was because of the Moravians. And then they sent people to the Muslim world, unheard of at the time. And so it went. Interestingly some of them met a young man named John Wesley as they were on their way to America to reach the indigenous peoples. And as a result Wesley ended up having his own experience of conversion and being filled with the Holy Spirit which led to the foundation of Methodism, which eventually led to the Methodist movement, which eventually led to the Pentecostal movement, which eventually led to the Charismatic movement, which eventually led to the Vineyard movement. And so it went. The problem is, in our time, that many who have experienced the spirit's power once seem to lose it or lose the awareness of that kingdom way of living over time it becomes something in their past they like you know build a monument to it but it's not a current reality for them and and the church tends to slide back into a kind of apathy and relying on human effort And the hunger for God, imagine, hunger was so intense you had to have church three times a day. And that tenderness towards God and one another gets lost. Why is that? I think the problem is, is that we think that it's all just about experience but actually we have to continually choose to give the Holy Spirit full control in our lives. Galatians 5.25 says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, it's not just an experience. It's meant to be a walk. It's meant to be something where we keep walking with Him, where we keep following Him. It's not enough to have had an experience once in the past. The question is, are we following him now? It's not enough to have a legacy of the Spirit. We have to choose to keep in step with him. And that choosing is not something that we do once and done. We have to choose it almost every day. So how do we do it? How do we make that choice? How do we keep in step? With the Spirit, or I'd like to give three suggestions. First, it's important to give our life, our ministry, and our church back to God, to put Him in control, to desire to have the Holy Spirit have full control. Back in uh, 1980, 85 was the first time our little church encountered a real outpouring of the Spirit as we were coming into the vineyard. And it was extremely surprising and extremely powerful. We had, as it happened, been praying for revival. We had had all kinds of late night prayer meetings and prayer chains and whatnot for several years and nothing was happening. And then suddenly, boom, this outpouring came and Shortly thereafter, as the leaders were meeting together, there was a prophetic word given and it said, you got the revival you've been praying for, but if you want it to keep going, you're going to have to give the church back to me. That means you can't always have everything sorted ahead of time or only allow the things you've got under control and that you've figured out and that you like at that time. Now that was a big problem for me because I started the church so I could have a church I liked. Like you know, I always told the people at our at the church y'all you that know, I didn't start this church for all you guys actually. I started it for me. Like I wanted to have a church where we worshiped with guitars, where we stopped wearing suits and ties to go to church, and where we had small groups. That was my vision. We fulfilled my vision on the first Sunday. And then God surprised us, especially at this point. So when he says, I want you to give the church back to me, I'm sitting there thinking, wait a minute. If I give the church back to God, what if he changes it? And that's always the problem. We all say, yeah, 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 when Somebody preaches, you know, you need to give it all back to God. But when it comes down to it, there's a big risk because you're signing a blank check with God and you don't know what he's going to do with it. You know, he might make you stay, he might make you go, he might change things. You know, there's he might whatever you don't know what's coming. And I thought, what if he changes it? What, what if I don't like it? but I couldn't for the life of me figure out how to say Jesus I'm keeping your church for myself. So really through gritted teeth gave the church back to him. And sure enough he started changing things. About a year later I was talking to my dad and I said, "You know, I don't think he liked our church very much. We gave it back to him and he changed almost everything." <laughs> like he changed the leadership structure, he changed the way we did worship, he changed the way we did our small groups, and eventually changed our name. He pretty much changed everything. Fortunately, I liked it a lot better. And you know the thing is, when you give it all back to God, whether it's your church, your life, your family, your ministry, you no longer need to live in anxiety. Anxiety is sort of the big word of our time. Everybody's filled with anxiety. Why? Because we found out the truth. We're not in control. You know, From week to week, we're not in control. But if we've given it back to God, we know who is in control. And you don't have to be in the anxiety. So that's number one. You've got to give, give it back to Him. Number two... You have to learn to wait upon God. And I think that was part of what was happening at the 24-hour prayer meeting. It wasn't just that they were praying. It was that they were waiting upon God. There was an openness towards God that allowed him to begin to speak to them about these different peoples in the world. And these different mission things. They didn't, they didn't start off thinking they were going to have mission. They were just trying to have church they liked. <laughs> But then God visited them, and then they learned to wait upon him. So to wait upon God means to live in dependence upon him and wait for his lead. Father, may I becomes the way we do things. You know, in the vineyard we use this verse quite a lot. John five nineteen. Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself, He can do only what He sees His Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. This is actually how we are meant to live. To do what the Spirit is doing. What the Father is doing through the Spirit through our life. And apart from that we really can do nothing. Now I have recently retired after 45 years of ministry. And when I look back at those 45 years, there were some great projects I engineered that were a complete waste of time. The only things that ended up mattering were the things that he started. The things that he brought to us. The things that came when we were waiting upon God. And he did so many amazing things. But you have to wait, and it's not always easy to wait. Very early on, when we started, we were all college students or young married couples, and nobody had any kids, except for one slightly older family. They had one girl. But of course, you know, as these things go, people meet each other, they get married, people who are married eventually start having kids, and you know, pretty soon we had all these kids, and it's like, oh, we need to have a Sunday school. And so we had this seminary student that was coming to our church. We said, let's just ask him to do the kids' ministry. And he needed a job to get through seminary, so he said yes. So he, we put him in charge of doing kids' church. And after a, about nine months, he came and said, uh, when my year is up, I'm not going to renew. In fact, I'm dropping out of seminary. <laughs> and I'm going to go get trained to be a counselor. <laughs> like, I'm not called to the kids. And so I thought, hmm, that's a point. Like, we need, we need to find somebody who's not just looking for a job, we need to find somebody who's called by God to the kids. And when I knew if we announced that he's resigning, we'll have like 10 people applying from the church that just want to work for the church who aren't called. And then I'm going to have to say no to all 10 of them. And, you know, well, you know how it is when the pastor says no to whatever it is you want to do. It doesn't always go very well. It makes you know people are disappointed. So I didn't want to have to do that. So basically we didn't tell people. Instead, we started praying. And we started praying and asking God, God, you need to call somebody. God, you need to call somebody. And the time starts ticking down. It gets closer and closer and closer. And, and uh, we're running out of time. I'm thinking World War III is coming here very soon. Just down the hall. And, and uh, I'm crying out to God like every day. God, you need to call somebody. And around that time, We were at this um, soup and sandwich get-together at somebody's house one evening after church. And somebody said, let's go around the room and everybody tell what their dream for their life is that they've never told anybody. And I thought, oh no, this is going to be so hokey. (laughs) You know, (laughs) like we don't even all know each other that well. People probably won't even tell the truth. But it wasn't my party, so I didn't. I just had to go along with it, you know. I, I, and so they started going around, and it came to this one woman. Her name was Eloise McKittrick. Now, she was an African American woman. She had a PhD, um, very highly educated, and she was a vice president at Kraft General Foods here in Chicago. She was high up. She had like three or four secretaries. They picked her up in a limousine for her commute every morning, and she was driving a Mercedes. I mean, she'd been written up as one of the fifty brightest and best African American women in America in a national magazine. You know, she was up there. You know, a very powerful, very gifted woman. So it comes to her turn, and she says, well, my dream that I've never told anybody is, I'd like to work for Steve. And I think it has something to do with children. And I just about fell out of my chair. I was like clutching my chest, afraid I was going to have a heart attack. It was like, holy cow, would that be possible? Could that would God like our kids that much? It was like way, way beyond anything I dreamed. So then that week I kept thinking, okay, obviously now it's the the it's my move. <laughs> and uh but what how, what am I going to do? And I kept thinking about Asking her to do this and thinking about the salary we were going to offer and what she was probably getting. And I thought, I can't do it. Like, there's not going to be any status, no more limos, (laughs) no three secretaries, and, you know, not that much pay. And so I'm wrestling with God wrestling with God. And finally, one Sunday after the church, I says, God, I can't do it. I can't even ask her. I can't even mention it to her. If you want her to do this, you're gonna just, you're just going to have to talk to her yourself. And about 10 seconds later, the phone rang, and it was her. And she said, I've had these dreams over and over, all this past couple weeks. And I felt like the Lord said, I need to ask you about my dreams. What are your dreams? And the first dream was, there was an airplane that needed to take off from Chicago, but it had a missing part, so it had the taxi down the highway to her parents' home in Kentucky to get the missing part. That was dream number one. Can you figure that one out? <laughs> that was pretty obvious. That's us, and we're the plane with the missing part, and the missing part is you. And then the second dream was Jesus took her in the basement of her grandmother's house, and it was filled with children. He said, you're to pray over these. And I just said, uh, well, you don't know, but Dave's resigned and he's leaving us and you know, we need a new children's pastor starting in about six weeks. And uh, she started screaming over the phone and she left it all behind, became our children's pastor and served with us for like, I think over 25 years. She's retired now also. Um, but that was, that's, what I mean about waiting. If I had just done something by my smart, by my own effort, I would have cheated myself. Uh, one of the greatest blessings God could have given us. I would never have in my wildest imaginations have thought that it could be like that. Instead of rushing in to do something, Wait for God to do something. Third, you have to keep taking risks and you have to keep saying yes. No matter the cost, you have to keep saying yes. You know, when you follow the Spirit, great things happen, but you have to keep saying yes. You know, um, it might be something simple that leads to a chain that is amazing. So back in the early days of our church, of course, I it was 40, 45 years ago, so I was much younger. And uh, one of the ways I was recruiting was I would, I would go up to the Inner varsity chapter at Northwestern, which was like a student group, and I would go to their meetings. Because I could kind of pass almost for a student in those days. I can't do this now, but um, I could then. And I would sit in the back, and then I would... Figure out who were the leaders were and get to know them, and you know, they would end up coming to our church. And then, of course, if the leaders came, then everybody else came. Anyway, I'm sitting in the back at one of their meetings, and this guy comes in, sits next to me, and he has like the worst cold you've ever seen. I mean, like, he's sweating, he's obviously got a fever. There, he's coughing, he's sneezing. He is miserable. And I'm thinking, why are you here? You know, you should be in bed, and why are you right next to me? <laughs> and, but for some reason, I felt like God said, pray for him. So I did. I said, yes. And I leaned over and I said, can I pray for you? And he looked at me and said, sure. And I prayed for him, and he was like instantly healed. Like instantly, the only cold I've ever seen healed actually. I've seen more cancers healed than colds. But he turned out he was a Turkish exchange student. Not even a believer yet. Well, he became a believer fairly soon. Then he brought another woman who was a Turkish exchange student, and she became a believer. Then she went back to Turkey and found this This little group of college students that had become believers from Turkey, and you have to understand there was no indigenous Turkish church in existence. This is like 1990. It had never happened in a thousand years. They were meeting together. She found them and started talking to them about the vineyard, and I ended up going over there to teach them about healing and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and kept going then for the next 30 years. The result is that now we have six or seven vineyard churches over there, plus another one in Azerbaijan because that they started from, from uh, one of their churches. But it all started with praying for this guy with the cold, And just one thing led to another, which led to another, which led to another. And that's the thing. You keep saying yes and things happen. You don't have to make things happen. You just have to keep saying yes. You know, this summer, I was up in Minneapolis. And I was on the plane, and I thought, all done. I've done all this ministry all this week. I was just about to put my earbuds in to listen to some music. And it was one of those smaller planes that only has two seats on a side. And this younger guy... He's probably about 35, comes, sits down next to me and turns to me and says, I'm on my way back home after the worst day of my life. That's the first words out of his mouth. And I put my earbuds back. And I thought, yes, Lord. (laughs) Because I just thought, there goes this fight. I know know what's going to happen now. You know, and... Ended up doing lots of ministry with him. We talked the whole way back, and I ended up giving him my email and the whole deal because you just keep saying yes. And that's the thing. You have to keep saying yes to the next thing the Holy Spirit brings to you. It's always a risk, but you keep saying yes. And as you do those things, you put him in control, you wait, and you keep saying yes, then you keep in step with him, and it doesn't stop, it doesn't dwindle away or fade away, but it keeps going, in fact, gets better. So let's stand. This is a time to maybe give something back to God. Your ministry your life, your church, your business, your, your career, or maybe your family, whatever it is that would stand between you and following Him completely, let's take a minute and give it back to God. And I'd like to ask you just like whisper it as you're standing here. I'm just gonna, we're just going to wait in silence for a minute. Just whisper to God so you're use, actually using your mouth that nobody else needs to hear. Just whisper and give back to God that thing that He's pointing out to you right now. Holy Spirit, I give you these people to lead and to do your work in and through. May you give them the courage to keep following you, to keep waiting on your lead, to keep saying yes whatever it is that you would bring into their life, whoever it is you would bring. Would you give them that hunger, not just for your presence, but for your word and your ways? And may they share in that shepherd's heart that goes to find the one that's lost that the Holy Spirit always brings us back to? Would you point out to them the lost ones, the forgotten ones the overlooked ones, the hopeless ones the desperate ones, the faraway ones. Let them be a light. Amen.